My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. This morning, I'll be preaching. The sermon title is very easy, Comfort. If you watch commercials, well, I mean, they're kind of unavoidable nowadays. If you watch TV for more than 10 seconds or have any sort of streaming platform that you watch, you'll see commercials advertising mattresses. My mattress is more comfortable than their mattress because we use a special grid. Well, our mattress is more comfortable than the mattress that uses a special grid because we have this cooling foam that goes in between. Well, our mattress is more comfortable than that mattress because you have multiple levels of adjustments. Well, our mattress is more comfortable than that mattress because you can have levels of adjustment for both sides of the bed and it goes up and it goes down. Comfort. At the dentist's office, if you go to a good one, they'll ask you before they start drilling, are you comfortable? In the hospital, the nurse may ask the patient, are you comfortable with your medication? How's your bed? If you have a good nurse. When we want to get comfortable at home in wintertime, we put on plush pajamas, and if you're lucky enough to grab a book and a nice hot drink, In the summertime, we try to keep the air conditioning just at the right level, right? So it's just not too hot. It's not too cold, unless you live in Florida where they just blow it as as cold as they can because it's so hot there all the time. Our lives revolve around trying to make sure we're always comfortable. When you're driving, you have a little button that turns on a heater so your your butt is warm when you're driving in wintertime. Comfort. My friend has a Ford F-150. You push the button the other way, and it blows cool air. Who knew? But life isn't always comfortable. And seeking comfort at the expense of maturity and spiritual formation in Christ isn't the same comfort of what it means that God is with us. In the reading from Isaiah this morning, God speaks comfort to his people. And since the theme during this Advent is God with us, we're going to look at comfort through that lens of what it means, God being with us. What is the comfort that he brings? Last week, we looked at the topic of justice and righteousness. And I would suggest if you haven't, go back and listen to that on the sermon podcast. So what we heard read in Isaiah 40, to help us understand it a little bit better, we need to know the immediate context. So in chapter 39, the king of Judah, his name is Hezekiah, he has sent some letters and a gift from the king of Babylon, which should make you suspicious, suspicious if you were Hezekiah. Because in the chapter before that, Hezekiah was dying, and he sent to the prophet of God, Isaiah, will I recover? And Isaiah's like, no, you're going to die. And Hezekiah gets sad. He's like, God, please, if there's any chance, please spare me. And God says, Isaiah, go back to Hezekiah. Tell him he's going to live. So Isaiah goes back, tells Hezekiah, he, you're going to live. And Hezekiah's like, yes, that's awesome. And God spares Hezekiah, and he recovers. So the king of Babylon's like, hey, good job. I'm glad to hear that you've recovered. But for some dumb reason, known only to Hezekiah, maybe pride, 
He's like, hey, Babylonian messengers, why don't you walk with me? And I'm going to show off everything to you. Here's my treasure house with all of my money and gold, my spices. Here's my armory. Here's all the weapons that we have. Isn't this magnificent? Not a good idea or a wise decision on his part. And Isaiah stops by afterwards and says to him, hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Everything that you just showed the Babylonians, they're going to take it away. Yeah, along, along with your sons and a bunch of people. And Hezekiah responds, yeah, that's cool. At least I'll have peace in my time. It's their problem. I won't have to deal with it, so I'm not too worried about it. Then, right after that, we get the passage from Isaiah 40 about comforting the people of God. And Isaiah 40, I believe, also marks an interesting point in the book of Isaiah where you've had narrative and uh, prophecy beforehand, and then from 40 on, you have this switch from that to just uh, the word of the Lord. And so this passage, uh, uh, speaking about comfort, comes right after the information is given that they're going to be conquered. Their sin has been too great, and they've tested God for far too long and for too many times. You know, we, we said in our, our prayer of confession this morning that we have sinned against you, provoking your most righteous anger against us. And, uh, and sometimes when you reread that and we confess that, it, it kind of doesn't sit well with us. Because when we talk about God being love, we overemphasize God's love. I think sometimes we lose the fact that what we do matters to God. How we live matters to God. And for the people of, of Judah, they've tested God for far too long and too many times. But then we get this passage, right? Just like with confession. We have provoked your righteous anger against us. And we know when we speak of God's anger, God's anger comes from his holiness, right? It's a response. Not, not anger as in Zeus is angry, so he's going to throw a lightning bolt at you. <laughs> God's, God's, holy, God's anger doesn't, doesn't work that way. But then we went, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. We th and then in our prayer confession, we basically said, we trust that you will have mercy on us because of Jesus Christ. And that's something similar right here, I think, because God is giving them this word of comfort before it happens to carry them through what is going to happen. So after it happens, they'll see that his guiding and preserving hand was there the whole time. And notice what God didn't say. God didn't say, I'm going to keep you from the experience of this coming battle and all of these losses and the exile. However, what God did say is that there will be an end to it. And after the ending, there will be the beginning of something marvelous. And he talks about warfare here in Isaiah 40. And this warfare comes about because of their unfaithfulness to God. They consistently sowed their, to, uh, to 
against God with their unfaithfulness and their idolatry and all of the stuff that comes with it. And time after time after time, God called them to repentance. And time after time after time, though there were a series of bad kings in Judah, there also here and there were good kings in Judah, like Hezekiah, who served God faithfully. And there were other kings like, uh, like Josiah, who, um, who found the law hidden in the wall, and they discovered it, and they read it, and they wept, and they repented, and they turned to God. And God is like, it's too late for everybody, but what I'm going to do, because you've humbled yourself before me and you've repented before me and you're seeking to serve me with all of your hearts, I'm going to relent for a little while and it's not going to happen in your time. But it still has to happen. Because their iniquity, their continued rebellion against God was too great. It swung back and forth too often and for too long. And you get a very good sense of this as you read the Old Testament. And, and as, you, as you read the one-year Bible, especially when you get into First and, uh, Judges, remember our sermon series on Judges all those years ago? And then you get through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Keep an eye out for that pattern. The iniquity of a people has effects on all the people. And I think in Hezekiah's case, the iniquity was boasting in his own his own strength. But that iniquity will be parted, the shift. The messenger of God comes and proclaims, God is coming. Let's get these paths, these pathways, let's get them ready. And part of that is the valleys will be filled up and the mountains will be flattened down. Kind of like, <laughs> not to bust on Florida too much, but kind of like when you go to Florida, everything is just flat. Or I used to live in Oklahoma too when I was a kid, right? Everything is just super flat in Oklahoma. There's like no mountains or anything. And it can get me like really nice fields and stuff. But I like Pennsylvania because we have mountains and valleys and rivers and all that sort of thing. But those valleys will be filled up and the mountains will be flattened down. Right? He's not saying that God's going to come with a shovel now and he's going to scoop off the mountain and he's going to use that to plug up the valleys and like, like, you know, pay paradise to put up a parking lot. He's using this image, right, as a metaphor to show us that the glory of God is going to be seen by every single human person. There's no impediments to the way of anyone seeing the glory of God. That the glory of God is not just going to appear to one person hiding in a cave in a mountain from an evil queen who's trying to kill him. The glory of God is not going to be just seen by a man climbing up the mountain to receive the law from angels, right, as St. Paul talks about. The glory of God is not just something that a person's going, wandering in the wilderness and seeing a bush on fire and turning aside to see this bush that's on fire, but that, that's, not, that's not on fire. The glory of God will be seen by all flesh. All flesh. This should be comforting to them because it shows that they will be restored. It shows that they will be forgiven. It shows that the situations they're going to find themselves in will not last forever. That God Himself is coming to make all things good. And this doesn't just have an application to their own immediate context. This has this overarching messianic context as well. It speaks to several different events that we ourselves continue to live in as our part of the story of the people of God. Then we turn to the story of St. Simeon in the Gospel of Luke chapter, chapter 2. 
And Simeon is, he's not a priest, but he's a holy man. And it says that he's righteous. It says that he's devout, right? So he has real faith. And we, we've talked about this a lot before, so I won't dwell on it too often. But our faith is not just belief, but our faith is also how our beliefs inform our actions. Our faithfulness to God. And Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. This consolation of Israel is speaking of this messianic expectation that the Messiah will come. And God says, because you're devout and righteous, you're going to see this before you die. Imagine that. The longed-for expectation of Israel, you will get to see it yourself. So St. Simeon, he goes to the temple and he comes across the Holy Family and he sees the young child Jesus, right? And a germaphobe mom's worst nightmare, he runs over to Jesus and he picks him up and he holds on to him <laughs> and he starts singing. <laughs> Lord, let your servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen what? The salvation that you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, right? In this child. And they gave him back to Mary and Mary wiped him down with sanitizer because she was paranoid. <laughs> My eyes have seen your salvation you have prepared in the face of all people. This isn't just a prayer we pray if you join us for evening prayer on Wednesdays, which you can still do in person, by the way, and online. It's something that we do regularly. It's, part, it's not just a prayer that we pray. Remember the reading from Isaiah about the glory of the Lord being revealed and that all flesh will see it? This is it. And where are they? They're in the temple. Because the Holy Family brought Jesus to the temple to fulfill what the law required of them, to dedicate their son to the Lord. The temple, this old man, sees Jesus, and he calls it out. The glory of the Lord that will be revealed. The glory of the Lord that the mountains are going to be flattened and the valleys are going to be filled so all flesh can see it right here in my arms, right here in this temple. The old man calls it out. And we know the story. And John the Baptist comes to prepare the way, to be the messenger foretold of in Isaiah, the one who will prepare the way for Jesus' own ministry. Who, when Jesus comes along, he will say, he must increase and I must decrease that the glory of God in human flesh who forgives their iniquities who will bring an end to their warfare will visit and heal his people so let's talk about how that's comforting for us and thinking about this this morning on the way here if, if our Christianity has no comfort for anyone then it is ineffective if our Christianity has no comfort for those hurting, then it is ineffective. Our faith brings comfort. If our faith doesn't bring comfort, then it's not doing any good to us or to anybody else. The iniquity of our sin 
has been forgiven. Our warfare against one another, but primarily against God, has come to an end. We have been, as St. Paul will tell us, we have been justified. We have been, as he'll say in Galatians, we have been clothed in Jesus Christ, right? He says, those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That we have been given Christ's righteousness. He's given it to us as a gift. That everything that keeps us from the presence of God, the sin that in response to God's holiness brings about what we talked a little bit earlier about anger, is dealt with. It's done away with. Christ is given to us and for us. The glory of God, the salvation for all peoples. We have been re become recipient, recipients of that. And then this should assure us, brothers and sisters, that God loves us. And I think in some sense, the assurance that God loves us might be healthier for us emotionally than, than trying to work out whether or not we think we have assurance of salvation. And assurance of salvation is a big deal for some people, particularly if you come up in a revivalist tradition, right, where the way you get saved is you hear the altar call and you raise your hand. And there's a place for this, and I do it from time to time. I don't call people to come forward, but I will at times stand up here and I will say, repent. We open the service with repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and trust in Jesus, right? Repent and trust in Jesus. But what happens is, in Christian circles, particularly here in America, is we've created this culture of people who feel like they need to get saved over and over again because they weren't sure if they were serious enough the first time they prayed the prayer to ask Jesus to come into their heart. I've done it tons of times when I was younger growing up, and maybe you didn't grow up in that, and maybe you didn't have that experience, and that's okay. But lots of your friends and families do. Did my salvation take? How can I be assured that I'm really saved? How can I be assured that my sins really have been forgiven? And I think one of the greatest insights that, that, that Martin Luther had was to point people to the sacraments, particularly the sacraments of baptism, well, yeah, the, 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 Lord's, the, the baptism and the Lord's table, right? That these are things that when our faith is weak, we can look to to say, yes, there's the sign of God's love for me that God loved me, and I know God loves me. That should comfort us, that we have been restored to union with God. That should comfort us, and that should be part of the comfort that we as Christians have to offer the world. Then flowing from that, that's primary, and I think one of the big things is we make these other things that I'm about to talk about, which are good, we make those the primary things because we don't really believe in sin anymore. That things we do aren't bad anymore, so we don't have to repent of anything. And if we don't have to repent of anything, then that means we can do whatever we want as long as we put a Christian stamp on it. But we have comfort then 
after we have been healed and restored and reunited with, with God through, his, through the Father, through His Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, then that means we can take comfort in the fact that the trauma and the pain of the sins of our past, that God has forgiven us of that. And not only that, that God has forgiven us of the pain, but the things that people have done against us, that God can and will bring wholeness. That God can and will bring wholeness to our trauma. That God can and will bring healing to the pain that we may have experienced at the hands of others. We can take comfort in the fact that the mistakes that we have made, that God can use them for his purposes, right? The mistake that Hezekiah made of bringing, <laughs> bringing the Babylonians in, like he, and don't even, not a, good, not a good thing, right? That mistake, here's all my treasure, here's all my cool cooking spices, here's all my armor and swords and spears. Isn't this great? The Babylonians are like, yeah, I think I'll take it, thank you. I'll see you after. We'll come back after you've died. That's a big mistake. But after that mistake, Isaiah speaks the word of comfort in, in Isaiah 40. Warfare is ending. Your iniquity is forgiven. He even says you've, re, you've, re, you've been repaid for double, right? Our mistakes that we made will be used by God for his purposes. We can take comfort in the fact that because of the peace that we've been given with God, that even when things look darkest, that God is still there with us no matter the outcome. That God is with us no matter the outcome. And often, we want God to deliver us from the outcome of things that we've done. And God doesn't promise he's going to do that all the time. And we can ask, and sometimes we can ask, and sometimes we can ask. But that doesn't mean that he's going to, to, to take that away. But if we've repented, if we've trusted in Christ, we can take comfort that, that even when we've done terrible things, when we've done stupid things, not in knowledge, right, or in ignorance, that God can and God will still love you. He will still care for you. That still will be the loving Father who will welcome you home. That God is still with you no matter the outcome. God didn't, just, God didn't leave Hezekiah because Hezekiah made a mistake. Hezekiah was just the result of a problem that was a long time coming. God didn't leave Hezekiah in spite of his mistakes. He stayed with him. And then he spoke a message of comfort to Hezekiah and to the people. Warfare is over. Your iniquities have been forgiven. And every person will see the glory of God, which we see reflected in the face of Jesus Christ. St. Cyril of Alexandria, in closing, said, For the glory of the Lord appeared, and all flesh saw the salvation of God, that is, of the Father. For he has sent his Son from heaven, 
to salvation and redemption. For the law brings no one to perfection, but we have been perfected in Christ and reconciled from every fault as we have been honored with the spirit of sonship. That God has made us his sons and daughters. When the scriptures use that word sonship, it's not excluding of women. It's, it's actually using a very specific term, the sons of God, right? Which is a group of people. All of us have seen the salvation of God. Let us, once we've seen him, I'm pretty sure we all have, and I'm glad for that. <laughs> but when the salvation of the Lord appeared, right? We gazed at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we said yes. And we turned our lives and our hearts to God as he forgave us. He cleansed our iniquities. The warfare between us is over, was over. And now because of that, we can have peace with one another. And that, brothers and sisters, is how I believe the words of comfort in Isaiah applied not just for them, but for us today. And may the comfort that we have been given through Jesus Christ, may that bless us this Advent season. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, ZionstoneUCC.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.